Greetings and welcome. I'm Mike Bankhead, your host. I'm a bass player and songwriter from the Jam City, Dayton, Ohio. And, you know, I like to try to go international here when I can. I've had a Canadian guest, a guest that's half Mexican, half Spanish. I've had a guest from the Netherlands. Today, well, you're getting my first Lithuanian guest. That's right. We go to the Baltics today on the You Could Be My Aramis podcast. Now, technically, the guest, Simona Smirnova, no longer lives in the Baltics. She lives in New York City. But yeah, let's let's get to the conversation. You can hear her talk about her life. Good morning, Simona. Good morning, Mike. We each have our coffee, so this is this is going to be useful. Could you please introduce yourself to the lovely listeners and uh, drop me your elevator pitch on on what you do? Elevator pitch, nice. Uh, so my name is Simona Smirnova. I'm a Lithuanian-born composer, vocalist, and country player. I've been living in the United States for the past t- uh, 10 years. Uh, I'm originally from Lithuania, and I perform uh, music which combines Lithuanian folk music with pop, jazz, rock, and electronic music elements. That's a very polished elevator pitch. You've clearly done that before. <laughs> I practiced it in class. <laughs> ah, smart. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. So, But I want to start with uh, you just took a trip where you went home, and I'd like you to tell me stories about that trip because it looked really cool, and you did some really kind of awesome things while you were there. So, yeah, uh, let's hear about the trip. Well, thank you for following, first of all. Thank you for following uh, social media and, and reels and posts. And it's it brings a nice uh, movement when you see that people follow and react and see that. So that's very nice. Uh, so it, this trip was unexpected. I generally go quite uh, often to Lithuania or travel in general. But this one, unexpected, this one was an unexpected trip because um, around Thanksgiving, on the day of Thanksgiving, I learned that I was nominated by Global Lithuanian Leaders. Global Lithuanian Leaders is, um, I don't want to lie, but probably around a decade uh, going organization, which um, brings in investment in Lithuania, celebrates uh, culture, celebrates uh, science, uh, technology, and things like that. Lithuanians who spread the word, uh, word about Lithuania worldwide. So I received a nomination for representing Lithuania globally through culture and through creativity by representing national instrument. And I play the, the Lithuanian zither, which is called kankles, by the way. So I just say zither so people can relate and understand what it is, but it's kankles. So I received that email that I got a nomination. I got very excited. So last minute I got tickets to, to Vilnius and I participated at the Global Lithuanian Leaders Award Ceremony, which was in the city hall with the presence of our um, president and the first lady. So it was uh, definitely a very nice, uh, very nice and festive event. And it's around holiday time. So it everybody's very excited and relaxed so it was nice and i i was the only one only one nominee who got to perform so that was very special to me because uh, um, i was kind of like the main act of the of the ceremony so i was very honored uh, to be asked to do that and, and share a lithuanian folk song with everybody from the pictures i mean it looked very glamorous yeah <laughs> it was quite glamorous and fun that's how i like <laughs> Uh, did you also get a chance to see the family? 
Yes, yes, definitely. So I always try. It's not always easy to find that balance, but yes, uh, I went to my hometown and my hometown is a small, small, small town in eastern part of Lithuania in the na- in a national park uh and it's a town which has probably 4000 people population and we have like one school, one restaurant, one church, that kind of stuff. So I went back home. Of course, it was snowing and everything is closed. I spent some time with my mom and uh, my cat <laughs> and did the, you know, small town things. Uh, so it was very nice to kind of reflect on on the place where I come from. I want to talk about your instrument. Let me make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Concles. Yes, it just stresses on on the first part. So, Conkles. Conkles. Thank you. Yes, very good. I clearly do not speak Lithuanian. Uh, that's spelled K-A-N-K-L-E-S with an accent on the E. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I- I'm glad that you clarified that it's like a zither, but we might have listeners that don't know what a zither is. Can you uh, explain that a little further? Uh, well, zither is a string instrument, uh, which you put it on your lap and you play by plucking the strings with your fingers. There's so many similar instruments to it. Most most of the world cultures have something similar, like Russia has gusli, uh, Finnish, um, Finnish people have kantele, and we have kwakle, and we have kanun in Middle Eastern uh, countries. We have uh, sitar. So that overall idea of kind of a lap harp, it's, it's pretty common. So it's... Uh, um, I don't want to say it's not that special, but pretty much all uh, ethnic communities have some sort of a similar instrument. So I can talk more a little bit in specific about my instrument because I know it. I can't talk about other other instruments. So um, so Kankles is uh, originally comes from a very old pagan times when Lithuania was still not a Christian country. But the first time it was mentioned in written written text, it was 16th century. So though we don't really know when it was developed, but uh, it was it is pretty old and it comes along with spiritual practice. So people believe that when uh, a loved one dies, uh, that that person's person, uh, soul reincarnates into, into a tree. So when you cut down the tree and you make an instrument, you're kind of communicating and you can with that person and you can hear that person uh, cry or, or connect or talk or things like that. So it was kind of a de- deaf cult. It sounds dark, but it's also, if you know, as in nature and any spiritual practice, there is dark and light and it's kind of, it's not... Re- received as dark it just sounds dark maybe in this age so people really had this uh, spiritual practice and they passed it along the way interesting fact that first gangless players were mostly men and now it's pretty much all women so it's an interesting thing how it changed but obviously it evolves now so the instrument passed uh, was passed from generation to generation the songs the style of playing and uh, the strings also uh, they would uh, there would be five, seven, nine, or twelve strings, all magic numbers, uh, some sort of uh, connection with mysticism or month, uh, the, the the amount of months we have or days in the week and stuff like that. They also would have symbolism of um, of the life tree or different Baltic sim- symbols. But in twentieth century, uh, it was decided to develop the instrument to a larger one and uh, open. Uh, actually a major 
in academy in our Lithuanian Academy of Music and Theater. So I think in 50s and 1950s, this instrument was developed to a larger 29 string lever instrument. So it means that you can play repertoire, you can play classical repertoire, um, you can play arranged music, modern music, and kind of go out of key. Um, so. Uh, so then people started majoring and there's whole education started and stuff like that. And music school started having, um, um, what are those called? The like, not, um, departments. I forgot the name. They started having folk departments. And so, so the whole education started. Uh, so that was my first instrument. This is my first encounter with music. When I started uh, learning music, that was exactly what I started. It was the Kankles. I loved it from the first sight from the first time hearing first notes uh I just heard it I heard the glissando and I thought oh I want to become class player forever and this is beautiful and just kind of happened this way uh I'll, of course it's a heavy instrument it's uncomfortable to carry it's uncomfortable to travel with it goes out of tune it breaks very easily it's very capricious uh and it's kind of like I always was jealous to flute players and violin players <laughs> or vocalists, and then I become one, but then I get to bring all PA myself. So it doesn't, didn't work out that well too. So, so I guess I just took that, that that's just going to be my instrument and uh, yeah. And now I keep playing and I try to push the envelope and bring it into different styles. That's awesome. I think it's so interesting when instruments are tied deeply to a specific culture. How is it tuned? Let me make sure I'm asking that question right. I'm not asking you how do you tune it, but uh, the the distance and pitch between the strings. Can you explain kind of how that? I'm a music. I mean, obviously, I'm a musician, so some people yeah. are not going to care about that, but I'm curious. Yeah, a lot of people ask me pretty much every time I perform in some sort of club somewhere, people come up and they say, what is that? And how do you tune it? That's most common questions. So the instrument is pretty much diatonic. Uh, you tune it. If you put all the levers one side, you have E flat major scale, just like you would play. If you uh, usually I would tune it to C major. So I put the levers in C major and if it's just like you would play through white keys on the keyboard or on the piano. That this is going to sound exactly the same as white keys. In uh, 29 string instruments has uh, four octaves. So you would go one octave below middle C and three octaves above middle C. Um, and uh, you can go, if you have uh, non-diatonic tones uh, or you modulate, you have to change the levers. So the levers go up to three flats. So I can go to E flat major or C minor or up to four sharps, um, up to E major. So... If you have, sometimes I do, I have, I love D flat, D flat major. So sometimes I kind of do like sneaky moves, like retune to D flat certain notes. And I don't play in that octave. And then I kind of play in another octave and I, or I ask a, a drummer to do little fill with the samples while I'm retuning on the stage, all kinds of things. It brings some issues, but uh, I try to play around. So, so it's diatonic and we read from grand staff. So pretty much everything you play on the piano, I can play on the conclas, except only if it has uh, a lot of chromatics. I just can't do chromatics. I cannot play chromatic unless I completely retune it, but I've actually ne never done it. And it sounds very complicated because then you have way less notes and yeah, you have to kind of relearn the instrument so yeah we cannot do chromatics when it comes down to jazz i've done some like older standards but i think it's as far as i can push in terms of non-diatonic tones i can do like some secondary dominance here and there 
but uh, but like if you're completely all the time modulating it's just it's just not in the nature of instrument and you're just gonna lose the lose the groove so so yeah see i think that's fascinating thank you for you explain that like like you're a teacher oh yeah i am a teacher <laughs> oh there you go uh, i am a teacher how old were you when you first started learning conkless uh, seven, seven. That's wow. pretty common uh, age in Eastern Europe. We have uh, quite developed systems for learning music. Uh, it's uh, a lot. Of, we have a lot of state uh, state uh, institutions, so it's free. And uh, as you start first grade, so you are six. Uh, second grade is pretty common to enroll into state music school and it works very differently from here and now me as being a teacher freelance teacher in new york i can kind of compare the difference um so you enroll into state music school which works like a separate additional school so you have as you're seven years old you start and you have two private instructions 45 minutes you have two solfage classes per week we have you have a choir and ensemble uh and uh and then this next year you get the second instrument so you usually play piano or if you your primary instrument is piano then something else so uh, you go to regular school and then you spend every day at music school after that and you, you do that for seven or eight years and then you can continue if you want go to conservatory and things like that so uh that's pretty much common common uh pathway uh, for us, which I'm very grateful for, because I come from a poor up upbringing, and I think if I would live in New York, I don't know, I would never play music because lessons are so expensive and so hard for parents to kind of have consistency and find actually a good teacher. Um, so, and uh, for us, it was it was free. I didn't even have my instrument until I was 18. I would just go to the music school and just get practice room and just practice, and I didn't need to have an instrument. So, yeah, it was. Uh, it was nice to have that sort of uh, support and get all the classes because now when I teach, I have to be a theory teacher. I have to be selfish, ear training and inspirational teacher and prepare for the recital. So it's a lot for one person to handle while while we were studying. There's a lot of teachers who kind of carry you through musical journey. I don't know how was yours. It would be interesting to hear how was your um, start. Well, you're a little familiar with how public education works in the United States. Uh, when I was in elementary school or primary, there were music classes. I didn't see another music class after seventh grade. And the only way that you were going to get a music class after that level is if you were enrolled in choir or the band for the school. Um, music education has sadly been very de-emphasized uh, in this country. So I'm pretty much all self-taught. I didn't start learning my main instrument, the bass, until I was 20 or 21. I learned from, there were no YouTube tutorials then because there was no YouTube. So either I had my friends show me something or I would go on very rudimentary websites and download internet tab and I would buy books or go to the library and get books about theory and how to play. And yeah, so I had... It's a different approach, and I really wish that I had learned as a child because just internalizing, even if you don't understand the terminology for the music theory you're learning, just internalizing the way music works makes you a better musician later, right? I also think, but uh, I do believe that, you know, everybody has a different life pathway, and it's the right pathway for us. So, 
you know, it fascinates me how people have such different backgrounds, but we still come together in one studio, in one stage, in one podcast, you know, in one tour, we are together and we kind of like, even it's so different where we come from, how we were raised, when did we start learning music, but we come together and we make music together, like as one unit. So I think, you know, that's also what is beautiful, uh, that we're so different as musicians. Yeah. We kind of, in a way, speak speak partially the same language when we understand music. I mean, especially you. You've got Maxime, who is French, and Marcelo, who is Brazilian. So English is not a first language for any of you in your mix. Yeah, together. yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, Marco is playing guitar. He's from Italy. Wow, and four nationalities in one band. Yes, yes, yes. So... It's it, it is fascinating. We love. I think that's the fact. Well, keep, keeps the drive because music, as you probably know, you know, not the easiest path <laughs> in the world yeah, or artistic have, nature you have in to general. Really want it. Yeah, you have to really want it. And any artistic uh, field, it's it's very complicated. So you have to kind of find those things with feed feed you throughout the journey. And I think that finding people who come from different backgrounds but just they feel like family, it's very special. I have two more questions about your childhood. The first one is, think about as far back as you can remember, what's the first song that you can remember hearing in your whole life? Wow, never. I've been never asked this question. I definitely composed my own songs. I remember, uh, I remember, I will answer to your question, but I remember when I came back first time from my first Gunkless lesson, I came back, I sat on a, on a couch and, um, we had this big, uh, big staff paper notebook. My mom bought me, but she told me to save paper and cut it in the half. So it was like first and like last. And I knew that I cannot, I'm not allowed to use staff, uh, and use paper if, uh, it's not for class. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do my own thing. So I took the back page, you know, the cover page, I put the ruler, I drew the staff and I, I was like, I'm going to be a composer now after one class. And I composed these songs. I, I'll pay big bucks to see those songs. I think they're actually still in my mom's basement. I have to find it because I didn't throw it away, but I have to find it. So it was just like these four measure or eight measure melodies, which I composed myself. And they all were named by plants, like flower names. And I'm thinking, you know, my last album is Bird Language. And I'm thinking nothing has changed over past... 30 years <laughs> I still call things by volcanoes and plants and sunshine and bugs you know birds so anyways so that that was uh that was funny I would always compose songs and if mom mom would say you have to learn a, a, a po poem for the Santa Claus and I would say I don't need to learn a poem I'm just gonna compose a poem on the spot <laughs> so real jazz lady uh, but in terms of hearing first song I really don't know I my first thought was like Pink Floyd or Michael Jackson, because that's what my dad would listen at home. And we had the uh, all those vinyl players and those record players where they spin. I don't even know how they call, but it's kind of like you put the tape and they, they spin those big ones. So we did have Pink Floyd, The Wall. We listened to it. Um, I don't remember many children's songs because, yeah, I don't know. We just lived in the village and whatever I, I heard, I heard. So I think one of those, we listened to Michael Jackson. We listened to Pink Floyd and maybe Led Zeppelin, things like that. But I don't remember like exactly the first song. I know my favorite songs, there was some 
very funny Lithuanian bands I left. I even was in a fan club when I was eight years old and I would go to fan club <laughs> meetings. It's so silly when I think. And those songs are just some Lithuanian quirky pop songs. So, but yeah, I can't tell the, the one song. Do you know one song? One song? I do. It was uh, Babe by Styx, which I didn't learn that it, I didn't learn the name of the song until I was an adult. And I didn't learn the band that made it till I was an adult, but I have clear memories of of hearing that song as a very small child. Yeah. When I did my research, that record came out when I was two. And my parents had to have bought it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have those clear memories, which is why I asked that question, because, you know, maybe other people have, have those kind of memories and it makes for good stories. Uh, so here's another one that will make for a good story. What did your childhood smell like? Like soil? Uh, and vegetables, <laughs> like a fruit village child. Yeah, that's the first thought because you know I don't know if you ever had that feeling when you like step out and you barefoot and you step on this kind of still cold. If it's a summertime, cold soil with your bare feet and you can feel um, the coolness and wetness from from the soil or morning dew on the on the on the grass. So that was kind of like a thing. And we did a lot of uh, a lot of uh, soil work. So like weeding or planting, I would plant potatoes and weed beets and do things. And I actually, my mom told me that uh, first time she took me because we kind of juggled between uh, city and, and the village at first. So she said first time she took me to the village and I was in a stroller. I ran away from the stroller. Somehow I barely could walk. And I was going through the garden and just kind of eating all the onions. <laughs> and I was just like all green. And I just like such a nature, nature child. And mom couldn't believe how out of all the things in the garden, I picked onions, you know, those, uh, the green ones, the scallions, I guess that's how we would call them. So, so yeah, I think that's the, the, uh, as true New Yorker urban living lady, I say a childhood smell is soil and vegetables. <laughs> that's great. See, it, it brings up a story. And like you mentioned earlier, you really haven't changed. You obviously still like nature. Uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a very, even though living in Manhattan, it feels so natural to me. But going back to my hometown feels natural too. I feel like both of these worlds live evenly in, in within me, and uh, it's kind of like a universe within. You know, it's large. You like your heart, like your soul, like your spiritual world. It's large. You can contain a lot of things. It doesn't have to be one or the other thing. So yeah. Bird Language is your third album, and it came out in 2022, and I would like you to talk about that. Yeah, so Bird Language, I think, is like a, a representation of me uh, in one. It really represents the, the way I think about life, the way I sing, the way I compose. It has 11 musicians, so it's also large instrumentation. Prehistory of that is that my first album was based on uh, Franz Kafka's short story, A Hunger Artist. So I always loved literature and I read a lot. So I kind of based off that and the whole storyline was, it also was like a live show with modern dance. So it was very theatrical, kind of avant-garde and written based on a protagonist. The second album was Trinquetet, written for the silent film, The Passion 
of Joan of Arc. And then it became an album which follows the trial of Joan of Arc. So it's, again, it's like a historical figure. So first was protagonist, second was historical figure, uh, kind of a feminist founder. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess with the third album, I felt like this is my music. I composed it, but it doesn't represent my personality very much it's 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 about someone else's story which I color and I, I compose about but I've never put myself in the front line so with bird language I really put myself it's very personal and very it kind of represents the way I live and and my personality so it has uh, some Lithuanian folk songs, uh, some archaic symbols, and uh, it's highly inspired by Carl Gustav Jung and his philosophy on collective uh, subconsciousness and dream reality and uh, in, in general dream work. So it has a lot of that archaic, archaic ancestral um, yearning or leaning into it and that's why i draw inspiration from all archaic melody older cake melodies so for example in one of the songs solstice i use a very old lithuanian chant for summer solstice as a motif but i sing very personal kind of sultry kind of uh, intimate words as well playing on the you know sun what sun gives to us how we perceive sun through five senses but also through me so it's kind of like that duality so I really put a lot of that ancestral common uh, knowledge, knowledge, I don't know if that's a good word, but like uh, connection and also my personal person, uh, experiences and, uh, and wishes and dreams and uh, yeah, personality traits. So I think that bird language really represents me in terms of as a composer, as well because it has string quartet it has jazz quartet it has saxophone it has my conkles it has background vocals it has my friends in it so all these people are friends since college um and uh, it was great to have them in studio so it, it's just a it's just a work which combines and represents that urban life with full of nature driven uh inner world I hope that was clear. <laughs> that was brilliant. When you sit down to compose, what's the first tool that you reach for? Piano. Not yeah. Conkless. No, no. So because why is the question? Because Conkless is limited. It is limited to you can't. Uh, so I compose on a piano all the time. Uh, and then, and then I see... I try to write it down, record it on my phone, listen back, all that stuff. And then I see what are the sections where I can incorporate Kankles without, without uh, losing the energy of the song. So it, if it has so many lever changes, and I still kind of struggle, I still kind of thinking, should I have Kankles? It sounds nice, but instead of like looking at people and being present, I'm shifting all the levers all the time so it's it's always a compromise so yeah it's piano because i do like to um uh, to go out of key and experiment with the harmony uh and then i see the pockets where i can incorporate conkless although bird language the title track was purely composed on conkless and that was some interesting story because i just sat down and i just wrote it and it's just out of one sitting <laughs> and it was it, it it was one of the most like successful i don't know if that's a good word but like the mode represented and played uh 
piece on the album and it became a title track and I have a music video. I don't know if you had a chance to see it. Um, so it kind of became my whole theme for these past four years. So that was composed on Cuntless. Maybe that's a sign I should compose more on Cuntless. <laughs> I mean, obviously our experiences are different and, and I often compose on piano, but I'm a bass player. Yes. And I still compose on bass, which is obviously limited, right? You're not getting the full chord flavors, but there's something to be said about working around an instrument's limitation or your own personal limitation that will give you ideas that you might not have had otherwise. Yeah, no, that's true. I agree. I agree. Well, when I compose string music, um, I just compose in finale. So that is different. I don't even know what that is. Please, please, <laughs> please help me. Uh, finale is a musical uh, notation software when you type in. So like Joan of Arc was composed pretty much on finale. And now my fourth album and, uh, and a book, which I'm releasing in less than a month. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see that somewhere, but uh, so... Oh, okay. So that's the new, new, new thing. So on February 16th, I'm releasing my sheet music book, which is called Kunkles in New York. And it's also an album because it has audio tracks. So it contains 14 pieces, uh, 14 original pieces, nine instrumental, five uh, vocal pieces written for the Kunkles in starting from like very light, uh, easy level to complicated level. So it has a, a mission to spread the instrument so more people would play, children would play, people who played at some point and forgot and want to pick it up. So we really we really do need more modern repertoire. So I try to tap into different styles. So there's like a piece of like meditational music, like bossa nova style, jazz style, uh, rock style, um, and more classical style. So all different, different um, genres. Uh, so this will be released uh, in February, but the, I'm also going on tour with the book release, and it, which starts tomorrow. <laughs> so tomorrow I'm flying to Los Angeles and I'm presenting the book uh, in Los Angeles. And then I have a, a release in New York on February 9th, then in Chicago, February 11th, 12th, then in Detroit, February 18th then Cleveland, February 19th. Then I'm going to Lithuania to present at the Vilnius Book Fair, which is the biggest book fair in the Baltic states. So I'll be there for four days from 23rd to 26th of February. Then I'm going to Berlin. I'm presenting Berlin at the Lithuanian Embassy. Then I come back. I go to San Francisco and then to Washington, D.C. Embassy. That's my dream. Wow. That's <laughs> so, exciting. That is. I keep saying and I'm like, just don't forget anything. Yes. So it's, it is very exciting time and it's kind of very different because it has, it has two aspects. It's not only album this time, it's me going and presenting the instrument and talking about it, meeting communities, meet, meeting consulates, meet, meeting um, embassies, meeting Lithuanian schools, ethnic communities. Uh, it's really uh, um, advocate, not advocacy, but representational work, representational work for folk music and, and ethnic instrument. So yes, and it starts tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm flying 10 a.m. to Los Angeles. So where can the listeners go to follow you on this journey? Uh, so they can follow me on Instagram. I'm very findable everywhere as my name, Simona Smirnova. Uh, so S-I-M-O-N-A-S-M-I-R-N-O-V-A. That's a lot of letters. So Simona Smirnova, uh, the same Facebook as well by by my name, Simona Smirnova, my artist page and uh, TikTok. 
TikTok uh, and LinkedIn and pretty much everywhere. I have a YouTube channel also by my name. I have some nice music videos done and uh, there's new. So there's a short documentary about my book and my life in New York uh, is coming out next week. So that's dropping on my YouTube channel next week. And uh, I also filmed a music video while I was on tour in New Zealand last uh, summer. So I have a music video coming out from New Zealand from one of the bird language songs. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, online presence and easily traceable. And a couple of months after you get back, I think I want to have you guest again and just talk about travel because I love travel and you've been to a lot of places and I just want to hear stories. Uh, so I'll link to all those uh, all those sites in the show notes that people can go follow you. Uh, I only have one more question. I am talking to Maxime and Marcelo later today for my podcast. What should I ask them? Is there anything uh, you think I should ask those guys? Well, good question. So, wow. Um, they both are amazing musicians so and very friendly and very approachable so i think that uh marcelo you should probably ask a lot about his compositions because he writes so much and uh, maybe brazilian influences uh to his uh, progressive sort of rock jazz um and about leading the band maybe because marcelo do is doing the thing uh leading the band and bringing in people and organizing everything and uh, for Maxime, I think that Maxime for, uh, for a while played uh, with uh, different people and friends, but he's been having and feeling like maybe it's time to start his own project. So maybe you can ask him and don't tell him I said, but you can like, oh, so when is your solo leader album? And he'll be like, yeah, I'll be thinking about it for a while. <laughs> so maybe you can ask and inspire or like say something and be that stranger who says that one thing when you're like, okay, it's time because it's one to play at other people's projects and one is actually to do your own. So I think Maxime was uh, thinking about it for a while and spinning that in his head. So yeah, maybe something about that. I'll do that. So with Maxime, we're going to talk we're going to talk in English and French, and I'm going to split it into two episodes because I speak French. Um, not as well as a French person, but, you know, it's my second. That's language. amazing that you speak so many languages. Only three, but it's useful. Um, maybe I'll ask him that in French. Yeah. Yeah, you can. He'll be, like, taken by surprise. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Simona, thank you for your time. I know you're really busy, and you have a lot of interesting things going on. It's very fascinating. Congratulations on being recognized um, in, in Lithuania for being an ambassador of the conquest. That's, that's pretty awesome. And I, I'm look, I wish you great success on your upcoming tour. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for taking an interest in me and, and, and my friends. Uh, it's, it's very nice and kind of uh, reaffirming too, when people notice what we do and take interest and ask and, giving also giving your time and congratulations on your a successful podcast it's amazing thank you so first ashu to simona that's my way of pronouncing thank you in lithuanian i hope i got it right but thank you ashu simona for taking time out of your busy schedule and talking to me dear listeners thank you as well for being here and simona is on the road right now if you are in her path you might want to go see her, check out the book and the recordings about Conkless music. You know, we're just going to make it a whole international week here on the podcast. 
this Friday, I'm talking to Marcelo, who is from Brazil and plays in Simona's band. Come on back and enjoy that conversation.